Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm still here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But right after the broadcast, we're headed up to a beautiful location up in the North Carolina mountains, not very far from Asheville, North Carolina. We're going to a place called Spruce Pines. It's lovely. The Bethel Missionary Baptist Church up there has invited us up for a three-day prophecy conference. Looking forward to doing that Pastor Darren is saying, hey, he's going to get all the people in the region to come together at his church, Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, for a study of Bible prophecy. It's a beautiful country. I hope you can come up, just come up for a couple of days of riding around the countryside, and then in the evenings on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, we'll hold Prophecy Conference. We actually start on Sunday morning, the 11 a.m. service, and then Prophecy Q&A at 5 on Sunday afternoon, 6 p.m. for the service and my teaching, Monday and Tuesday, beginning at 7 p.m. for the teaching, Prophecy Q&A, an hour earlier. We'll keep reminding you about that on the broadcast today. You know what we're doing. We're taking an hour and a half to talk with our broadcast partners around the world, looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Each and every week, we start with Ken Timmerman. He's on the Catbird Seat in Washington, D.C., and he takes an overall look across the entire geopolitical activities happening so that we can get an understanding, better understanding, and that then fits into our understanding of Bible prophecy as well. Ken, I've got a lot to talk about. Let me get started. There is a report out of the Middle East that the Israeli Defense Force and the Russian Army are on a collision course in Syria. Now, we know about the shooting down of the Russian aircraft, first blamed on Israel, and then that was disproven. Uh, what about the fact that uh, Russia is saying, don't let it happen again, and Israel's saying, we're going to defend ourselves? I mean, that does look like problems ahead. This, this story has developed substantially since we spoke about it last week, Jimmy. The Russians have put out a formal report that diametrically opposed what the Israelis have said, what the IDF said. Mm. Uh, the Israelis said notably that their F-16s were already back in Israeli air, airspace when the shootdown of the Russian plane over Syria by Syrian air defense missiles took place. The Russians say that's not the case. They said they didn't get back into Israeli airspace for several minutes after the shootdown. They also reiterated their claim that Israel used that slow-moving Russian surveillance plane to uh, hide behind as they were going to strike targets in a different part of Syria than what they had told the Russians about when they gave them a one-minute warning before the attack over their deconfliction line. This is where they you know, try to make sure that this kind of incident doesn't happen. So the Russians are accusing Israel of bad faith misleading information, criminal bad faith and negligence, uh, and that could have some serious consequences. Now, the other thing that happened this week on this story, it tremendously significant because it is a concrete fact on the ground, is that the Russians moved this Krashuka 4 electronic warfare uh, system into Syria. This is a pretty sophisticated jamming device. Uh, it's mounted on a eight-wheel truck that can intercept and jam satellites, including satellites used for guidance, that Israel uses for guidance. 
It can uh, neutralize and jam radar, Israel's radar. It can disable navigation systems. It can do all kinds of horrible things and essentially ground the Israeli Air Force over Syria or even make those Israeli planes, if they do come over Syria, make them vulnerable to shoot down either by the Syrian air defense network or by the Russians. So this is a concrete retaliatory measure that the Russians have taken, which is very serious and very real. Ken, I've heard that uh, that jamming device can also be effective throughout the entire airspace over Israel, which would then have consequences as it relates to the commercial aircraft flying into Israel. What do you know about that? Well, uh, that would be an extremely aggressive action for the Russians to take. They can neutralize low-Earth orbit satellites, both spy satellites and others, and AWACS radar. Uh, They could damage electronic warfare systems inside Israel. And if they took out, if they, for example, if they took out all radar coverage, that would include the radar, the landing radar at Ben-Gurion Airport. But again, this would be an extremely aggressive action for them to take. I am certain it violates all kinds of provisions of international law for aggression against sovereign countries. But, you know, who knows? Yeah, that's a very definite possibility. Meanwhile, Iran said they have a video uh, that they are producing and broadcasting across the world that is threatening the United States and the Allies for the terror activities that actually took place on the ground in Iran not too long ago. Yeah, this was a kind of trial balloon that the Revolutionary Guards floated uh, last week. They put it out on a uh, one of their YouTube channels. Then after a couple of hours, they took it down. But it showed footage from previous ballistic missile attacks that they had launched against Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi uh, in the United Arab Emirates and saying, you could hear in the background, Khamenei's voice uh, in Farsi saying the era of hit and run has expired. And then he goes on and says a heavy punishment is underway. Now, that, you know, would seem like a pretty threatening thing. I think the Revolutionary Guard wanted us all to see this. They wanted the Saudis to see it. They wanted the UAE and the United States to see this, to know what their thinking is. And then they wanted to take it down. So later on, they can say, oh, well, gee, that was uh, that was posted by mistake, or, you know, we don't know have anything to do with that. <laughs> it's one of the, you know, it's called plausible deniability. Yeah. In this case, the Iranians deny just about everything, and their denials are never plausible. This week at the United Nations General Assembly there in New York City. Donald Trump addressed the body, and he made this statement. He praised all the Middle Eastern nations for their Iranian pressure that is being applied by each of these, most of them, Arab nations. That was good, but I don't know how long he'll keep that coalition together. Well, and they praised him in return. You know, a lot of the media coverage here in the United States about Trump's U.N. speech focused on one thing only, and that was a moment when the room erupted into suppressed chuckles when Trump was saying how successful his government had been and gotten more done in two years than probably any U.S. government in recent history. The MSNBCs, of you know, they claimed that Trump was being laughed at by the international community. And, of course, it's just the contrary. 
That's another fake news story. You had at a conference the same day when President Trump uh, spoke at the United Nations, you had the Saudi foreign minister personally thanking Trump, personally thanking the United States for all that we're doing on Iran. This was Adel al-Jubair. You had the UAE ambassador to the United States saying the same thing. He said they were encouraged by the Trump administration and their efforts to raise the costs for Iran of their behavior. So this is the real story. The real story is that our Middle East friends and allies are very, uh, first of all, relieved and then happy at the Trump administration policy towards Iran, the hard line that they're taking. They do not join in this so-called laughter at the president. And in addition to that, when Prime Minister Netanyahu addressed the United Nations General Assembly, he talked about and revealed a secret location. He referred to it as a warehouse. We remember a couple of months back, uh, Mossad went in and took out all the archives at a storage location there in Tehran, Iran. But now he revealed in that same general area, geographically, they have a facility, a warehouse-type operation with materials. And he didn't really go specific what they have inside, but items that would assist them in developing their nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Boy, that backed up what uh, the president has done and has said. Well, that's right. And Bibi Netanyahu likes to do show and tell at the U.N. He's very good at it. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> he's very, very good at it. And so he, um, he showed the, um, the actual geo-coordinates of the secret nuclear warehouse <laughs> and said that, that the Iranians had also stockpiled nuclear materials there, were trying to clean it up, and he urged the U.N. to go in and inspect it as soon as possible before they succeed in cleaning it up. Because, again, this would show that Iran had been violating the JCPOA, the so-called nuclear agreement, from the get-go, as Mr. Netanyahu's claimed and as President Trump has claimed. Yeah, Netanyahu is meticulous with his show-and-tell. We just have less than a minute left. Erdogan, who's president of Turkey, vowing to defend Jerusalem from Israeli invaders. In other words, Jewish people going to Jerusalem. Yeah, Erdogan has really got a lot of chutzpah. He comes <laughs> to the United States in May, for example, and, and watches passively as his security guards smash the heads of Kurdish protesters. Now he comes in September to New York and speaks to a pro-Turkish government foundation and spews this anti-Semitic hate speech uh, about Israel uh, here in the United States on U.S. soil, saying he's going to continue to fight a diplomatic battle with Israel and the United States over the location of Israel's capital, as if that is any of Turkey's business. <laughs> you would think it would be Israel's business and our business where we put our embassy, which is in Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the Jewish people. So, you know, this just reasserts uh, Erdogan's aggressive uh, approach towards Israel, his aggressive uh, approach towards the United States. And it's going on as there have been, we're told, secret meetings between Turkish and Israeli officials in an effort to patch up the relationship. So it doesn't look like, like Erdogan really wants to patch it up. Uh, he is continuing with his aggressive, aggressive talk. And this is part of a prophetic scenario found in God's Word foretelling what would happen in the last days. Ken, a very excellent report. As always, we need you to be available for us. We thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Okay. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we have a Middle East News update. David Dolan 
He comes to my broadcast table in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us. Now, this is a key region of the world. If you're a student of Bible prophecy, you already know that. So we need to have an insight into all the current events unfolding. So in the Middle East, with that happening, our man is David Dolan. So glad to have him. Over 35 years experience as a journalist in that region of the world. David, a lot to talk about. There's a report coming out of Israel that the Israeli Defense Force and the Russian Army are on a collision course in Syria. I know about the shooting down of the Russian aircraft and uh, the threat from Russia about that not happening again. I mean, is it possible that they could be in a collision course and this thing could really get hot there in Syria? Jimmy, it's extremely possible. In fact, some are saying it's likely now. And we've had the weird, odd situation over the past several years of militaries from, what, four, five, six countries? I have to stop and think, or at least forces from those countries fighting in one zone two different sides of a war, Israel, of course, on the U.S., Sunni Arab uh, side, as it were, and everybody else, Russia and everybody else on Iran's side and Syria's side, the Assad regime's side. So it's bloody, it's bad. But now, Jimmy, with the introduction of these new measures from Russia recently, in fact, during the week, 
They brought down to uh, Beirut Airport and then took it into Syria some jamming equipment that will be able to jam most electronic signals. This is uh, electronic warfare, EW it's called. This is very sophisticated. It's not the most advanced one that they have, but it is very accurate. And it, Jimmy, can jam pretty much all electronics over most of Israel, Mm. not just over Syria and Lebanese airspace, but over most of, certainly all of northern Israel and central Israel where the cities are, it could halt commercial traffic. It can block signals from satellites to jets, which, of course, they navigate today, uh, warplanes and commercial jets by satellite. It can block radio communications, cell phone communications, just knock everything electronic off. Well, that has arrived in the region now. And, of course, the uh, Russians also saying they would send their S-300 anti-missile system, anti-aircraft missile system to Syria. That hasn't been deployed yet. But, Jimmy, there are some reports today that actually they began on Friday that the Russian top aide to Vladimir Putin, uh, basically the the, uh, military uh, attaché, is in Tehran negotiating a deal with Iran Mm. that they would stop weapons shipments to Syria in exchange for Israel agreeing to halt all attacks upon those weapons shipments and positions in Syria and Lebanon. Now, this hasn't been confirmed by Israel, but there are press reports in Israel that this is taking place, that Putin is trying this, so it looks like the Russians are trying to de-escalate the situation and move back a bit, But on the other hand, Jimmy, this electronic chatting equipment is there. The Russians did hold this, quote, exercise, military exercise in the Mediterranean this week, in which they also were jamming uh, electronics uh, all around. But this could be turned on at any time, and it would indeed not prevent, but it would make it extremely difficult for Israel to carry out any more assaults on Iranian and Hezbollah and Syrian positions in the future. And, Jimmy, this comes, of course, as Prime Minister Netanyahu at the U.N. said that Hezbollah is indeed uh, operating three different sites in Beirut where they are upgrading uh, older missiles to precision missiles that he said could strike within 10 yards. He said, we know where there are, we're watching, and we reserve the right to take these out. So the situation is still very, very hot, Jimmy, very tense. It depends on the Kremlin, really. It seems like the relationship between Netanyahu and Putin is remains pretty strong. They talk often. They're talking about meeting again. And if conflict can be avoided, it will be probably because of those two men making that effort. But it is such on a knife edge, Jimmy, that it uh, it's just impossible to predict where it will go. But it could uh, explode uh, at any time into full war, and we know that. We've known that for weeks. But if this S-300 system is deployed, Jimmy, then that may be the trigger for Iran to attack Israel, is what I'm hearing, because it would then pretty much prevent the Israelis from operating in Lebanon and Syrian airspace. And uh, add to that the jamming, it would make it extremely difficult for Israel to fight adequately any war unless the Russians stepped aside. So this is a moment of decision. A lot of prayer is needed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's continue that thought about 
Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, addressing the United Nations General Assembly. In addition to what he said about Hezbollah, he said Iran has another secret facility. Now, we reported a couple of months back they went in. The Israeli intelligence community went in. They went into the archive for the nuclear program of Iran, but now they're saying that Iran, not very far from that particular location, as the prime minister revealed, has a warehouse as such with materials and equipment that it could help them develop their nuclear weapon of mass destruction. What do we know? Well, he said that officials estimate it has about 15 containers that are full he said, full of nuclear materials. He didn't specify them in detail, but centrifuges are thought to be among them and other things. A total of 300 tons of equipment, he said. He said that the Iranians are right now trying to clean up radioactive materials from the site in case it's discovered. Well, it has been discovered. Uh, Netanyahu announced it at the U.N., but he's demanding that U.N. inspectors go and look at it, and that seems a very, very reasonable demand, according to the International Nuclear Accord, Iran is not supposed to be containing (laughs) nuclear materials and hiding them away, and uh, the inspectors are allowed to go and look. They have to request it first. There's a wait of 30 days, I believe, so they have some more time to clean it up, but they'd have to move everything out. But there was no indication that the U.N. was going to respond to this request from Netanyahu, And, in fact, uh, the Iranians said it's rubbish, he's dreaming, this is all nonsense, we're not doing this. And, of course, the EU continues, Jimmy, to do business with Iran. European companies do. Next month, the oil sanctions from the United States go fully in place, but some of the European countries continue to do that business. They're going to have to decide themselves, are they going to side with the U.S. or with Iran on this issue of sanctions and we'll see a lot happening in the next month on that. At the U.N. General Assembly in New York City, also King Abdullah, who is the leader of Jordan, he addressed this body, and in his statement he talked about that uh, Jordan is going to do what they need to do to protect Jerusalem's Muslim and Christian character. Notice he left out Jewish character as well. He did, Jimmy, and, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu addressed that issue as well. A few months ago, Israel declared, Parliament of Israel declared that Israel is, ta-da, a Jewish state, a majority Jewish state, and he pointed out that this is not racism, that over 50 countries in the world have either a crescent, because they're a Muslim-dominated country, or a a cross, many European countries, some in Africa and others, uh, because they're predominantly Christian. He said, we're a predominantly Jewish country. The Star of David is our flag. Everybody knows that. And he said, minorities exist in all those other countries that are not Muslims or Christians, and uh, people survive. You know, they're mostly protected. They're mostly allowed to practice their faith. It's only, frankly, in the a few of the Muslim countries that that is not the case at all. But in Israel, as he pointed out, there is freedom of religion. I mean, goodness, the Christian embassy was hosting this week 4,000 people from all over the world, openly in Jerusalem's largest auditorium, expressing both their faith in uh, God and their faith in Jesus, openly, but also their support for Israel. You know, he's he's saying this is ridiculous, uh, these charges that the Muslims are making. King Abdullah, well, you know, he feels like he still is the 
official Muslim guardian of the holy sites, and that is true. Jordan has that role, so he has to periodically speak up like this and make these sorts of statements. But I think what Prime Minister Netanyahu said was absolutely the case. Israel is a democracy. The Muslims and the Christians there are allowed to freely worship. The only time there's any restrictions, as you know, is when there are terror attacks or threats of violence or something like that, and they have to uh, close things down. But that's very rare. Israel is the truest democracy in the Middle East and one of the truest in the world. That's the voice of David Dolan. It's been heard for 35 years, reporting out of a very key region in this world prophetically. And, of course, that's the Middle East. And David is our broadcast partner, giving us the details behind all the headlines coming out of that part of the world. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll have to have another conversation next week. We will, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. There was a priestly blessing pronounced upon hundreds and thousands of Jews and Christians this last week in Israel. Winky's going to report on that, and then he's going to reflect upon the United Nations and Israel. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our second half hour, and our purpose on this broadcast is to go around the world, make contact with broadcast partners, bring them to this broadcast table, and with the headlines that are out there for everybody in the world to see, give some insight, some definition of these headlines. By the way, you can read the top 10 headlines every day and then read the entire story. If you go to my website, prophecytoday.com, on the home page, you'll find my top 10. Well, in light of that, We bring these broadcast partners here to give us more information, background on what we have been reading in the news. And so, therefore, we bring to this table Winky Madad right now to give us insight in a couple of issues we want to cover with Winky. And by the way, Winky is in Israel, the center part of the state, 
a place called Shiloh. It's the original site of the headquarters for the Jewish people when they came into the Promised Land about 3,500 years ago. Winky, I want to talk to you about two issues, as I've said. The priestly blessing that was pronounced on Wednesday to hundreds and thousands of Christian pilgrims and Jewish worshipers there at the Western Wall and in the Western Wall Plaza. We'll get that in a moment. But uh, the United Nations General Assembly going on at the same time is going on in New York City. All the leaders of the member states having an opportunity to address the world as they stand there at the United Nations. And this is key in our thinking about the future as far as the state of Israel is concerned. But let's get to the priestly blessing. This was an amazing sight as the entire Western Wall Plaza was flooded as I said, with Jewish worshipers and Christian pilgrims who come in to join with the Jewish people in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let me ask this. Is there any biblical directive to the Jewish people for such a opportunity for the priest to bless the congregation? Tell me about that information, that background. Well, Jimmy, of course it is quite biblical in which God himself informs Moses and Aaron, that the priests, the what we call in Hebrew Kohanim, are to pronounce a short three-sentence blessing upon the people, expressing God's love, his desire to favor them, and his wish that they live uh, in peace. And that is done uh, usually, uh, of course, at the time through the temple service. Now we're about 2,000 years later. We've, uh, we haven't the temple anymore. And so both actually in Christian and in Jewish sources, prayer is in churches or assemblies, not in the temple. And it's uh, a certain type of service has evolved with certain differences between both the religions and in between each religion. So looking back now, we have to sort of free ourselves from what we know today, and and realize that at the time of the temple, when the three main pilgrimage festivals took place, Passover, the Festival of Weeks, uh, and the Festival of Tabernacles, not only as many Jewish people would come as possible, but also at that time, non-Jewish. In fact, Roman pagans used to come because they heard of the renown of the temple as one of the wonders of the world. And it was in the open squares of the Temple Mount that these blessings were said. We keep it today in the Jewish tradition, abroad in the lands of our diaspora. It's only done on those three festivals. In Israel, actually, we do it every day, especially in Jerusalem. But, of course, being that people come, as you mentioned, both Christians and, of course, Jews, on the pilgrim festivals, the opportunity to sort of relive this, reenact, uh, reconnect us to what the temple was and and in believing in God in such a sense of a direct message between God through the calling to the people. I mean, they're not performing anything in this place. They're simply acting as agents. But to pass on that message to us, for those who could read it in the Bible, lifting up my face to you, I promise you peace, 
this is a very powerful spiritual, ethical, and moral and practical message that all peoples can learn from. And that commandment, by the way, I believe is in Numbers chapter 6. Now, the report is telling us that there were around a hundred of the men who are priests, or claim to be priests, that would give this blessing there at the Western Wall, and for those all gathered in the Western Wall Plaza. Are those men who have been studying the priestly duties and will be used as priests to operate the temple, the one that will be built later on in the future there on the Temple Mount? Well, Jimmy, I don't know about each and every single one of them, but religious observant Jews who do view themselves as the Kohanim according to family tradition uh, and do this, whether they go up on the Temple Mount today or they are waiting for something else to lead them up there, or someone else to lead them up there, they are committed to the fact that if the temple is built tomorrow, they've got to take off their shoes and hold out their hands in a special signature form and perform that duty. They're aware of that. There are others, of course, that, as we've discussed many times on this program, Jimmy, who are engaged in all sorts of temple-related activities of the priests, learning, if I'm not mistaken, to, uh, on Thursday, there was the uh, drawing of the water, which is a special section of uh, or part of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the, what we call in, in Hebrew Chag Sukkot, so that the many duties that evolve onto the Kohanim, let's not leave the Levites, in Hebrew, Levi'im, who play instruments and are a huge choir. So there are many aspects of this that make it not a dry religious ceremony of mumbling of words, but something very exciting and very energetic, which is, I think, the best way that religion could be practiced. And, Winky, would you agree that all of these activities, the water libation, the blessing from the priest, and everything else you've talked to us about, would be a part of preparations to rebuild the next temple on the Temple Mount? Absolutely. Uh, uh, You cannot expect someone who is, uh, in today's uh, language, a social media activist to immediately flip over uh, into a new set of duties. Uh, You have to concentrate, you have to learn, you have to prepare yourself, raise the consciousness. People today, Jimmy, unfortunately, can be very cynical, very detached, very uh, agnostic in whatever sense you want to understand the word. But if the miracles do occur and men are returned to what God has promised us, they should have some preparation or maybe they won't be able to stand the test of time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's change the subject now, focusing on New York City, the United Nations building there, and the General Assembly, all the member states around the world sending their leaders into this General Assembly at the United Nations for the purpose, many of them, of addressing all the member states and, in fact, the entire world from that podium. I wonder, has Israel really had a favorable time with the United Nations, or has it always been antagonistic? I don't think it's always been antagonistic, Jimmy, but I'm getting older now, and I can't remember when the last time was that the United Nations treated Israel even-handedly. I mean, 1975 was the Zionism is racism. The United Nations Human Rights Council, 
uh, UNESCO decisions over the past decade. The rise of something called a Palestinian people with an inalienable right, which no one ever knew, uh, actually, until the 1960s. In fact, I think I mentioned here in this program, if everybody gets excited about the United Nations Resolution 242 at the end of the 67 war, Jimmy, has anybody read that? It doesn't mention the Palestinian people. It doesn't mention the Palestine. So it's become harder for Israel. And I find it ironic, Jimmy, that many people on the left or the far left demand to be heard and believed because they're speaking, quote-unquote, truth to power. Anybody who saw Mr. Benjamin Benjamin Bibi Netanyahu on the podium speaking about Iran, speaking about the Palestinian problem, speaking about many other things, saw a person in the full, genuine sense of the word speaking truth to power, even though half the hall was empty and not too many people were clapping. That did not deter him with all his charts and his, and his pictures. And I think uh, anybody who wants to know what a minority of one is in the face of animosity can take an example from uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Let me ask uh, along that line, does Israel believe that they must conform to all the United Nations resolutions which have been given, and a majority of those resolutions against the Jewish state, must Israel conform according to the thinking, the body politic of Israel? Uh, most of the resolutions that have been passed have always been General Assembly resolutions, which basically are declaratory. They, they do not have power. It's the Security Council that has a little bit more power, and I think Israel has basically rejected most of the General Assembly uh, resolutions, which fly in the face of truth. Uh, those that, of course, concomitant with with truth, with facts, uh, Israel does take part, and I think Israel in the past has been a very active participant in global activities in Africa, Asia, South America, and other places, and I think it's coming back because... As Mr. Netanyahu mentioned, uh, our diplomatic network is expanding even as the ferocity of, of the attacks on Israel is increasing. One final question for you, Winky. In essence, is Israel standing alone in this world, maybe with the exception of the United States? But other than that, do they, the Jewish people stand alone today? Jimmy, um, you've been here, I think, and you probably know the Hebrew phrase, the world is against us. It's unfortunate that the United Nations has been taken over by mainly Arab, Muslim blocks of votes uh, who need uh, their oil or their political uh, influence and power. And the United Nations has not turned out to be, I think, what it was intended to be when it was set up towards the end of World War II. And that's only, I think, one particular section of the world to blame for that. But slowly but surely, we're gaining, we're picking up the players, we're picking up support. And of course, we thank the United States for the support we now have better than a former administration or former administrations under President Trump. Winky and I both read the Bible, and the Bible is absolute when it says Israel will never stand alone. God is with them. You would agree with that, would you not? I agree with that, and I'm glad he has some reserve players on the sidelines that 
help us out every now and then. Amen. I'd love you are a wordsmith if I've ever heard one, Winky. Thank you so much for interacting with us. This was great information. I wanted the people to have the background on the priestly blessings pronounced this last week and what's going on there at the United Nations General Assembly in New York City. Thank you so much, my good friend. Haksameak and have a great Feast of Tabernacles. We'll talk again soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and uh, goodbye to you and our listeners. Very, very important report from Winky Madad, looking first at the pronouncement of the priestly blessings on hundreds and thousands there in the Western Wall Plaza earlier this week. And then, of course, talking about the United Nations, and in particular, Prime Minister Netanyahu addressing the United Nations and revealing a new secret location in Iran with some of the materials they are using to develop their nuclear weapon of mass destruction. We'll stay on top of that story with Winky Madad and others. A very important region of this world is the European Union, the continent of Europe. And there is some information almost on a daily basis that comes out of that region that seems to be indicating the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word is coming better into focus. The man who steps at this broadcast table to join us is a man knowing how these things are unfolding, having lived in Brussels, Belgium, actually, headquarters for the European Union for about 30-some years. The man I'm talking about, John Rood, he's our broadcast partner. And John, want to get right underway with you as it relates to what is going on. It's very interesting to me to see that Britain has stated they're going to outlaw the entire terrorist organization, Hezbollah. They're a surrogate terror organization for Iran located there in southern Lebanon. But Britain stepping ahead of even the European Union to make this decision. Yes, so this is actually a result directly in the United Kingdom of the new foreign secretary, uh, Jeremy Hunt. And so he has been pushing to designate Hezbollah as an outright terrorist organization in its entirety. So now the United Kingdom Home Secretary is working to do this designation. Now the history of this is a bit interesting because in Europe they're making a distinction between the military wing of Hezbollah and the political wing. Of course that's a very difficult approach to take. But they do it to keep economic ties, etc. And as you said as well, it's certainly a balance with Iran. So the United Kingdom had banned the military wing in 2008. Now they're just getting around to banning the entire organization. The EU as a whole designated the military wing terrorist organization in 2013. But even until today... For example, uh, German Chancellor Merkel, she has refused to designate the entire organization terrorist. Then, in contrast, you have the United States, Canada, Arab League, Netherlands, Israel, that don't even make a distinction of separate military and political wings, and so they have classified uh, Hezbollah for some time as an entire unified uh, terrorist entity. Well, and in fact, Israel has known that for a long time. Over the years, they've had conflicts. 
I think back in 2006, the most recent intense conflict with Hezbollah and the Israeli Defense Force there at Israel's northern border. Uh, But Hezbollah continues to brag about the fact they are armed, one of the fifth largest arsenals that is in the entire world today. They're ready to attack Israel. That's a story that's uh, a continuing story as well. European Parliament, uh, that's different than the European Union. I see they have just voted to freeze about $15 million to the Palestinian Authority and the textbooks. Palestinian Authority using these textbooks to train up the children so that they'll continue on with this violent armed struggle against the Jewish state of Israel. Good move by the European Parliament, isn't it? Uh, The Parliament moved to ban these particular textbooks. This was a European Parliament committee. So, But they did pass this because the textbooks are just outright violent hate speech. They're glorifying jihad martyrdom. But one thing is, this is not a new issue. This has been going on for many, many years, what the textbooks are containing that the Palestinian Authority uses. As a whole, the European Union is still going to be dramatically one-sided towards the Palestinian Authority and against Israel. But these textbooks are just so blatant that this internal committee got a hold of it, wrote a bill which will be voted on next month, And I would certainly think as well that the funding would be stopped. The United States as well has apparently put some pressure on the fact of these textbooks being so blatant. And even in Brussels, you know, the capital of the European Union, uh, my sons uh, were all in the Brussels school, and they all had a course unit that was entitled America, Dream or Nightmare. Mm. So, And they had, at the end of the unit, they would have all the students raise their hand and vote, and it was unanimous, except for my sons, that America is a nightmare. Mm. So the, uh, the planning of what's being taught in the schools is certainly very dramatic, and these views are being perpetrated. I believe this will be stopped, as you've mentioned. Yeah, so we're seeing that it's not only in the Palestinian Authority area, the state of Israel, but across Europe and the European Union as well. Talk to me about the leader of the Labor Party, Corbyn. He is promising that if he is elected as the prime minister, he immediately will recognize a Palestinian state. Now, he's laying it right out there, and if the people want that, They can get him by voting for him. That's an excellent point, Jimmy, that this is truly what he believes, but it's also for him a campaign tactic that will give him some advantage. Being an opposition party, they want to come out with opposition uh, platform, which gives people an alternative. So he's certainly playing this card very strongly that being pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel is going to further his political... uh, possibilities. But this is the keynote address that they just had at their party conference. So he made it very, very clear that they would recognize Palestinian state immediately. At the same time, he sort of kind of backpedaled against all the allegations of anti-Semitism and just gave that lip service. People understand where he's coming from, and he's making a very strong stand in this way. They're in the plenary session, they're you know, waving Palestinian flags, et cetera, et cetera. They see themselves as a 
opposition, and I believe they'll continue to stress this. Uh, they it, we just spoke about Hezbollah. He's called Hezbollah their friends. Mm. Uh, mm. So people are drawing the line on this. I don't believe it will work, but he's given it all he has. And he speaketh out of both sides of his mouth, I do believe. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, well, again, folks, a political move that is a front and possibly could happen. We don't know that for sure. It doesn't look like it may, but it possibly could happen. That's a part of an end-time scenario with the revived Roman Empire and the Palestinians there in the Middle East in that seven-year tribulation period. John, thank you so very much. It's great that you are a prophecy teacher as well, and you travel and speak, and we appreciate the fact that you give us Fridays and Saturdays to look at the news and help us to come up with the information we need to give a European Union update. Thank you so much, my good friend, and great time in your meetings. We'll be praying for you. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. It's always very important to have a report on the European Union as they continue to move forward in the reality of the resurrection of the old Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire. And John Rood helps us to do that. Well, we're going to bring Jim Jr. to this broadcast table now. He has some questions for us from our listeners. So thrilled for this opportunity to interact with those who may be listening to the broadcast. So, Jim, if you will, give us the questions. We'll endeavor to get the answers from the Word of God for our friends. Well, Dad, question comes from David Pence. He says, I saw the video clip of you and Brandon House talking about the Antichrist, but I am confused. The only mention of an Antichrist and not a proper name in the Bible is in 1 John and 2 John. Neither Christ nor Paul nor John use the term anywhere else. Why do you and others not use the correct term beast or man of lawlessness when preaching and teaching about the tribulation and end time events? According to First and Second John, Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ and denies the Father and the Son. Why the proper name Antichrist? Ignoring the warning given in Revelation twenty two eighteen. David, let me say, I never ignore the warning of Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, not to involve myself in adding to or taking away from the Word of God. That's an exhortation I pay very close attention to, so David, please do not accuse me of doing that. Now, you talk about several things. In 1 John, let's read the text again. You see, we need to always go to the Word of God, as Jimmy just mentioned a moment ago, to see exactly what it says. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. It's talking about one Antichrist. I do believe that is the name for the individual who will be energized by Satan, he's referred to, and you are correct, in the book of Revelation as the beast that comes up out of the sea. In fact, that phrase beast is used 42 times in the book of Revelation, referring to the Antichrist, 
are the beast out of the sea. Now, I use the term interchangeably, Antichrist and beast, because really this individual has 27 different names. In the book of Daniel, David, in chapter 7 and verse 8, the Antichrist is referred to as the little horn. In chapter 9 and verse 26, the prince that shall come. There in chapter 11 and verse 36, he's the willful king. Jesus Christ referred to him as the false messiah, Matthew chapter 24. And then when you go to the apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he uses three terms, uh, the wicked one, the son of perdition, the man of sin. And so uh, those are just a couple of the names of the 27 that are used in God's word to refer to this individual energized by Satan to be a member of the satanic trinity who will do everything he possibly can uh, to replicate the Christ, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing when we look at all of this scripture and we add it up all together and we see everything that fits like hand in glove. Remember, there in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, there is no prophecy of private interpretation. So we have to add all of the scriptures, all the prophetic passages together to come to our conclusions. Now, I appreciate the exhortation uh, to be true to the word of God, David, but indeed, there are other names than Antichrist or Beast or Man of Lawlessness in God's Word pertaining to this individual, this world dictator, who will come to power and put together a peace agreement between the Jewish people and her neighbors, establishing a false pseudo-peace there in that seven-year period of time. And he will ultimately be taken along with the false prophet, and Satan, the Antichrist and false prophet, chapter 19, will be thrown into the lake of fire. In chapter 20, the one who energizes both the beast or the Antichrist and the false prophet, Satan, will be thrown in a bottomless pit for a thousand years, released for a short period of time, and then cast with the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire forever. That's how I would look at the situation, David, as we look at this individual uh, that uh, indeed is going to be a major player during that seven-year tribulation period. Thank you, David, for that question. And, Dad, thank you for the answer. David, you might be interested on our website, prophecytoday.com. We do have our bookstore, and in the bookstore we have a great series entitled Age of the Antichrist, with many of the title series in that series entitled About the Beast. So go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and click on the location of the bookstore for that CD series. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. DeYoung will be having a conversation with David James, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is the third of our three half hours, equaling 90 minutes of information that we give you. I've always asked you to commit at least 90 minutes a week to eavesdropping on my broadcast partners and the conversations I have with them. They update you, give you insight into all the headlines so you can understand exactly how these current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I have one more conversation with another of the broadcast partners, David James, standing by. We're going to be talking about Andy Stanley. He's the pastor of a 34,000-member church 
in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and he has just rejected the Ten Commandments as good for Christians. You don't want to miss that conversation upcoming when David and I will have it in just a moment. By the way, after the broadcast, will you check out my website, prophecytoday.com. Much information that you need to know about on it, but I want you to go for my poll question. I want you to answer it. It's on the left-hand column if you'll scroll down there on the home page. Here's the question. Do you believe that the United Nations General Assembly that is meeting in New York City is a forerunner of the Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, The Babylon, the political economic power base, foretold in Revelation chapter 18. Now, we've been talking a lot on this broadcast about the United Nations. I want you to answer this poll question. And when you're there, why don't you go over to Joshua Travel? We're going to have five different tours, at least five this coming year. We'd love to have you come and get involved with us. Rick will be taking off to lead one tour in just about three days. So pray for Rick, our youngest son, as he goes to lead the tour. Then he goes back with David James, and they're going to be doing that. David and I will talk about that in just a moment. But you can find out all the information the dates, the itinerary, the cost, everything else at my website. It's over at Joshua Travel at prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I at this broadcast table have a weekly conversation on an issue that is so important to the church. We're going to be talking about Andy Stanley's controversial statements that keep coming from this young preacher boy, uh, this time about the Ten Commandments. We'll continue that discussion in a moment, but before we do, I want to remind our listeners of two different ways that you're joining Prophecy Today with upcoming ministries in the future, David. You're going to be co-leading a trip to Israel at the beginning of November, actually last day, I think, of October, then into November, and teaching at our conference here in Chattanooga at the beginning of December. So you're going to be a part of Prophecy Today on the ground where it's happening real soon. Well, that's right, and I'm really looking forward to both of these opportunities, and leading this trip to Israel will give me a great opportunity to share with the folks who are on the tour. And by the way, there's still some room if a couple more people would like to join us on one of these VIP tours. For the conference in December, it's a a course that I've taught a number of times, graphics and PowerPoint design. It's not directly a Bible course, but it will help Bible teachers, pastors to more effectively teach what they know about the Word of God, but it's also for anybody who does design work at a church or in a ministry, designing posters, brochures, flyers, book covers, in addition to PowerPoints, even the things that they project as far as their announcements on Sunday morning. So I think it'd be a great course, a very practical one. Well, I think it's going to be an excellent opportunity for those who want to be teachers or who already are teachers or pastors, Sunday school, you know, home Bible studies, whatever, to be able to know how to use the media, the multimedia, uh, to expand your teaching capability. Well, today's discussion, as I've already mentioned, is about Andy Stanley, and it's not completely a, a new story. 
but just the other night during a, a Q&A session at a church where I was speaking, I was asked about Andy Stanley and what he had done. And since you had suggested about two weeks ago, David, that we might want to look in this direction for our discussion, I thought it might be helpful for you to deal with it. So maybe uh, you could bring our listeners up to speed on this latest controversy. Well, it was something that happened a little bit earlier in the year, but it's now been making some headlines and getting quite a bit of response uh, on the Internet. And this has to do with statements he made about the Ten Commandments. He was teaching on Acts 15, and he made the comment that uh, Christians are not obligated to keep the Ten Commandments, and he certainly, to give him his due, he said that we have a higher standard, and that would certainly be true in the sense that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, and he was taking people back to the spirit of the law. But I think it's very dangerous, and I would also, as we get into this further, I would say it's unbiblical for anyone to say that we don't have an obligation to keep the Ten Commandments because they reflect the moral character of God, and we'll get into that a little bit later. David, I think it would be good for you to tell us who Andy Stanley is and why it's important for us to discuss the things that he is teaching today. Well, first of all, I have to thank you for referring to Andy Stanley as a young preacher boy. Actually, he's my age, and I turned 60 this year, so I appreciate that, your sensitivity to uh, to, to my age. <laughs> but he is the pastor of North Point Community Church, which is actually an association of several churches. In fact, North Point Ministries has helped to plant more than 20 partner churches. It's actually on six campuses right now, has about 32,000 attendees each week. He is the son of Charles Stanley, who is the pastor of First Baptist Atlanta and very well known, and I would say actually very influential in my life as a young believer back in the in the mid-80s. Andy Stanley is also a graduate, and this is interesting, of Dallas Theological Seminary, a school that I also graduated from. And a few years ago, back about eight years ago, he was voted, or as a part of a survey of American Protestant pastors, he was found to be the the 10th most influential living preacher, and he's authored over 20 books. So what he says, people listen to. Hey, when I say young preacher boy, you know, I'm 78 years old. All you young whippersnappers are young boys. So, <laughs> But <laughs> if the shoe fits, wear it. David, uh, let's think about this for a few moments uh, as we discuss Stanley's teachings. I think it's uh, he seems to be on a trajectory that is actually taking him further away from the Scriptures. Do you recognize that same type of thing? Yes, and I've been watching this for uh, several years now, and it is distressing because of uh, the influence that he has. He tends to, I think, on the one hand, overstate his case and makes controversial statements because they do garner attention. And I think, you know, you just have to be careful as a teacher about the things you say and how you say them. A couple of years ago, for example, he also, when he was teaching on Acts 15, made a comment about Christians needing to unhitch from the Old Testament, and he clarified it by saying unhitching grace from the Mosaic Law, 
referring to the decisions by the Jerusalem Council. And of course, we understand that we are not saved by keeping the law, but then no Jew was ever saved by keeping the law. A couple of years ago, he was preaching a message about a family in his church where the father had left the mother and uh, went to live with a man, and they became a couple, and he was using it to try to teach about grace and never mentioned the idea of the sin of homosexuality, as far as I understand it. In fact, Al Mohler took him to task, and now you have this issue right now, and I just think it's unfortunate when you have someone of such high profile being uh, maybe just careless on the one hand but I think, it, it, like you said, I think there is a trajectory and people are following him. Let's uh, just think for a moment concerning the Ten Commandments. Is Stanley right that uh, these Ten Commandments were exclusively for Israel, that they have no application in the church today? And then the, the continuation of that thought, was that the actual purpose of the decisions made by the Jerusalem Council found there in Acts chapter 15? Well, the Ten Commandments are first set forth in Exodus chapter 19, which is at the beginning of God giving the law to Moses. But in my course, God's Plan Through the Ages, one of the things that I point out is that as you go from dispensation to dispensation, you have both continuity and discontinuity, just like you have with presidential administrations in the United States. Some laws change, some are added, some are taken away, things are done differently, some things are done in the same way. The law of Moses was instituted beginning in Exodus 19, but I point out of the Ten Commandments, it was not okay to worship other gods before Exodus 19. It wasn't okay to commit adultery, to lie, cheat, and steal, to make graven images. And also, when we think about on our side of the law of Moses, on this side of the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses, but that doesn't mean that we have no obligation because it's still not okay to worship other gods, make graven images, lie, cheat, steal, and commit adultery. So the point is this, the Ten Commandments reflect the very character of God, and I think what Andy Stanley has failed to do, and some other dispensationalists have failed to do, is failed to recognize the difference between ceremonial, civil, and moral aspects of the law. And the Ten Commandments reflect the heart and the character of God, and they are morally binding, and they transcend all dispensations, in my view. Oh, very interesting thought there. You bring up a dispensationalist that may, to some extent, kind of go on the side with Anley Stanley. You know, obviously, everybody who listens to this broadcast knows that you and I are traditional dispensationalists, But do you think that some dispensationalists may have overstated their case when it comes to law versus grace and that this has hurt dispensationalism as a whole? I think it has in some ways opened us up to some false charges and misunderstandings. For one thing, there was grace under law or no one would have ever been saved. And of course, as I mentioned, there is law under uh, grace and, and the law of Christ and the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. And Paul even refers to a number of his writings, particularly in the book of Romans, he points to good aspects of the law, not as a means of justification, but then no one was ever justified in that way. So it it helps us to understand the heart and the character of God. We don't use it 
as a means of justification. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But if we fail to recognize the continuity across dispensations of certain aspects of what God does, I think we also can miss exactly what does change and the significance of those changes as well. Dave, one last question, if you will. And this has to do with the commandment concerning keeping the Sabbath. Now, going in a direction opposite of Andy Stanley, uh, there are a small but growing number of evangelicals arguing that we must continue to observe the Sabbath. Your thoughts? I think that the Sabbath stands different from the other nine commandments in that it is more of a ceremonial thing, and if God created the Sabbath for man, as Jesus said, and what we find is if we go into the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and 4, when he's talking about entering into God's Sabbath rest, he makes it very clear, the author of Hebrews makes it very clear that for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have entered into that Sabbath rest that the Sabbath was uh, painting a picture of. So by virtue of being in Christ, Christians are continually observing God's Sabbath because they have entered into God's rest. I do believe this was a very important discussion that David and I had, and I would suggest that you might want to re-listen to what David had to say about this issue, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we have archived this particular conversation on this issue of Andy Stanley. We're not trying to attack. We're simply trying to help all of us look at the Word of God and see what it says, not what either David or myself or Andy Stanley have to say about it. What does God's Word say? David, thank you for the research and also for the conversation today. We'll follow this same pattern next week when we get together again. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always great to be with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll look at all of the conversations I had with my broadcast partners. We'll see how they fit into the prophetic Word of God as I take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. 
You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book, the Bible, and see how all these reports from our broadcast partners align with the prophetic scenarios found in God's Word. Now, I want to do that in just a moment. I forgot to tell you earlier this half hour, we're going to be at the Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in Spruce Pines, North Carolina, just above Asheville, North Carolina. But Spruce Pines may be prettier than Asheville. That's the Bethel Missionary Baptist Church all day Sunday, then Monday and Tuesday nights come as we study the prophetic word of God. Now, in light of that, here on Prophecy Today weekend, you recognize, of course, we bring to this broadcast table broadcast partners that are key for our understanding exactly what is happening in this world. By the way, if you missed any of the conversations I had with my broadcast partners, go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, There we've archived each and every one of my conversations, and they are way back in time as well. You might want to search and see what you find out from a previous conversation we had. But, of course, this week, all the conversation with my broadcast partners on our website, prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N. Well, let me give you a prophetic perspective on the news today, which we were able to get more in-depth from our broadcast partners. For example, Ken Timmerman on the Catbird Seat in Washington, D.C., he talked about the Israeli Defense Force and Russia, the Russian army, on a collision course in Syria. And we reported about the recent shooting down of a Russian recon aircraft over Syria. And everybody in the Middle East, including Russia and Syria, blamed Israel for that shooting down of that Russian aircraft. That came to be absolutely false. And the president of Russia kind of backed up a bit on his pronouncement that uh, Israel was responsible But it is going to happen. Now, see, this may be a precursor again as to what is going to take place. If you study the prophetic word of God, and in particular Ezekiel 38, and then align that with Daniel chapter 11, starting in verse 40 through verse 45, you'll have to determine that within the first six months of the tribulation period, there will be an alignment of nations, and that alignment, that coalition of Middle Eastern nations, will be led by Russia. Russia will be the ones at the front leading these Islamic nations to try to wipe Israel 
off the face of the earth. That happens in the first six months of the tribulation period because the Islamic world must be wiped out so that the Antichrist, who plays a key role in all of this, the Antichrist can return to Rome, Italy, and lead the false church that will be headquartered according to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, there in Rome. Then I received a report from David Dolan, our Middle East News update. He talked about the Prime Minister of Israel being at the United Nations General Assembly, and the Prime Minister of Israel revealed a secret Iranian facility, which they are calling a warehouse. A couple of months back, we reported that the Israeli intelligence community sent their people in. They went into the facility where they were keeping the archives, the nuclear archives, for the program, the development of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction there in Iran. But now at the UN, Prime Minister Netanyahu revealed that they have a secret location. It's a warehouse with materials and munitions that will help them prepare their nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Of course, the prime minister does show and tell, so he was able to reveal even the photos of the entrance of this facility there in Tehran, Iran. David Dolan reported that for us on his Middle East News update. Winky Madad, longtime broadcast partner with us, talked to us about the priestly blessings that were pronounced on Wednesday at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Numbers chapter 6 tells the leaders of the temple, that would be the priest and the high priest, that once a year, Feast of Tabernacles, they are to pronounce a blessing upon the Jewish people. Well, not only were there Jews there, but Christians from all over the world had gathered, Jews from around the world, almost 100,000 people gathered there in the Western Wall Plaza to receive these priestly blessings. And then Winky revealed to us this is a part of preparing those priests who are training to operate the next temple on the Temple Mount had to be involved with this. John Rood gave us his European Union update. Britain is getting ready to name Hezbollah a terror organization, both their military branch and their political branch. This is a long-time terror group. Finally, Britain is seeing what's the truth. Jim Jr. had our Prophecy Q&A. Please send your question to Jim Jr. at prophecytoday.com. We'll endeavor to get it on the air, answering your prophecy question from God's Word. And finally, David James and I had a conversation about Andy Stanley. He's the pastor of a 34,000-member church in the Atlanta, Georgia area. The other day, he rejected the Ten Commandments as it relates in any way to Christians today. You need to hear that conversation. It's a key part of helping you to understand your Christian walk. That's what David and I do when we have our weekly conversations here on Prophecy Today. So be sure, if you did miss any of these conversations, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, You'll be able to re-listen to them. And as you do, by the way, why don't you tell a friend to do that as well? As each and every one of us hear what our broadcast partners bring to the table, we're going to understand that these current events they're reporting on, giving us background and details on, 
All of these current events are actually bringing into focus a prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. That's why we put the two together. That's why the banner over my website says, Looking at Current Events in Light of Biblical Prophecy. We don't let the current events drive our understanding of prophecy. That's what the Word of God does. Current events simply help us to see the urgency on the moment and how close the next event may be. Oh, that next event? Well, that's the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds, and we're caught up to meet him in the air. And with the reports from our broadcast partners today, tangible evidence that that rapture could happen at any moment. All I have to say after that is, let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.